Well, good morning, church. Are you excited to be here? Wow. All right. Um, well, it's good to be here. I'm Pastor Greg Parkman. I'm typically at our Riverside campus, and it's good to be here with you folks today. Uh, a little bit more relaxed today, you know, uh, Riverside campus, a little bit smaller facility, a lot that's going on on Sunday morning. Uh, so I'm a little bit more relaxed. Feel good. Uh, there's a lot of distractions at the Riverside campus. We have a small sanctuary, so sometimes there's babies in there. Cell phones uh, will go off, and some people just answer and just talk right in there. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> Uh, people, obviously we eat in our sanctuary, so people are cracking stuff over, and I'm just praying, God, I hope that's a pop. I hope that is a pop <laughs> that's being opened right now. Uh, so it's good to be with you. I wanted to give you a real quick update on what's going on at the Riverside campus, and we are making a difference, and I say we, we are one church in two locations, friends, and uh, you are a part of that ministry with us, even though you may have never been there physically. Uh, financially, your prayer support, your encouragement you give us on a weekly uh, basis. We really appreciate that. Wanted to give you a real quick uh, update on some of the things that are, are going on at the Riverside campus right now. Last month, in the month of June, uh, we fed, we prepared over 1,070 meals. Wow, yes. Um, that's our, our Wednesday night uh, dinner, and that's also our Sunday morning breakfast. Friends, that's a lot of cooking. That means a lot of eating, too. So if I look a little bit heavier than what I was last time, that's why. Uh, so we are a church that really digs in and really begins to uh, meet the needs of the community, and that's why we're over there. Also, w- one of the things that God has really blessed us with, even you know, really before we started the work over there three years ago, was I really recognized that there's a lot of kids in our neighborhood. There's just so much activity. There's really nothing to do uh, for the kids. So I always felt that kids' ministry would be a, a big ministry at the Riverside campus. So on Wednesday nights, we will typically have anywhere from 30 to 35 kids at our Wacky Wednesday. Pastor Malachi gives leadership to some of our kids' ministry, which is a great problem. You know, you have kids running around, but we do have a problem, friends. We are running out of space. Yeah, it's a good problem, but it is a problem. So as a church, we've been planning praying and preparing for what that looks like for us in the future. So will you pray with me? And as we continue to discern on what the right direction for us to go at Riverside, knowing that uh, every room is being uh, full, filled each and every week, every room, I always say every room at Riverside is a multifunctional, multipurpose. We tear down, set up, but uh, we're about at our max of what we can set up and tear down. So uh, we need your prayers, we need your help, we need your support, and you'll be hearing more about that as the months unfold. So will you pray with me on that? All right, all right. If you're hungry, you can come over uh, for breakfast on Sunday morning. You bring your small group, you can come help serve. If you want to be a part of Wednesday night meal, you can come be a part of that. Uh, just get involved in your church. Take ownership of your church. I think that's when you really begin to feel like you're a part and you're really being what Jesus wants you to be, the hands and feet that he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. So what I've been preaching about the last several weeks, I've not been in a series, so it's given me as a preacher incredible freedom to go wherever I want to go. And it's been really cool. So next week I'm starting the same series uh, series that you guys are starting at the Riverside campus. We're going to start doing some of the same series together, see how that goes. But what I've been preaching to lately is I've been preaching to what I see. And what I see uh, within the Riverside campus, but also in the community of believers 
um, is what I'm going to talk about today. And I believe that uh, something that we need to address and something we need to be made aware of. Uh, because sometimes we just forget. We forget and we put God in a box. Uh, and we forget that God is not d- done doing great things. He's not done his greater works yesterday, but he's doing his greater works right now. And he's doing his greater works tomorrow. So we need to be reminded that as a church. But I want to let you know something. Everybody in this room is driven by something. Everybody in this room has a, a wind behind yourself, so to speak. You have uh, some kind of push that motivates you and drives you to do something. Most of us in here, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm motivated uh, on Sunday or Monday through Friday or whenever you work by these little white envelopes I get in the mailbox. They're called bills, y'all. And they motivate us to work because we know we have to pay the, the bills. Now, some of us hate our jobs. Some of you are griping, complaining. Now it's Sunday. you got to go to work on Monday. You're like, I don't want to go. I'm calling in sick. But you are driven to go because you got those little white envelopes in your mailbox that you got to take care of. Amen? Some of you guys are driven by your wife's. See, your wife sometimes gives you those honey-do lists. And for whatever reason, sometimes those lists don't get done as quickly as they need to get done. So therefore, your wife and God has put her in your life to motivate you. (laughs) And she does that in a lot of different ways. It could be an opportunity or or, or a time when you come home from work and you're expecting dinner to be on the table as usual. And you come home and guess what? You go to bed hungry that night. She's trying to motivate you to get that honey-do list going. Or sometimes you may get ready to go to bed, and there may not be a spot in your bed, but there may be your pillow and blanket on the couch. And she's saying, hey, until you're done with the list, this is your new residence right here. (laughs) So we're all driven by something or somebody. But as we think about what we do uh, in the kingdom of God, and I really want us to clamp clamp down on one person a day that I really believe you get to see this truth through and through and just in such an impactful way. As we think about Peter and his life, man, we think about Peter, and if you've been in the church for any length of time, you know Peter had his ups and downs, man. But I relate very well with Peter because Peter was one of those guys who seemed like he always messed stuff up, man. I mean, we know some of the stories. We know Peter was the guy who, who was supposed to go for a walk but went for a swim. You all know the story? They were out in the boat, and Jesus said, hey, come on out. And he got out, and whether it was the lack of faith, he took his eye off of Jesus and went for a swim instead of a walk. <laughs> uh, we know that Peter was the one who seemed like, you know, from the outside, man, he was bold, and he had the courage, and he was courageous. But when it really came down to it, Peter was a coward. We know the story where Peter denied Jesus, you know, when somebody, a, a normal person, come up to him and said, hey, are you following this guy? And he said, no, I don't even know him. And denied, denied Jesus three times. We know that story. Peter also had terrible aim. We know the story when Jesus was getting arrested by the soldiers and, and Peter whipped out his sword and was actually going for the guy's head and missed and hit his ear. I mean, Peter just was a mess, man. Peter had all kinds of issues, friends. That's why I can relate to Peter. We got issues. Y'all got issues. I just want to let you know today, none of us have it together. A lot of us are like Peter. We don't always recognize it. 
But something began to happen when we think about uh, Peter's life and as he progressed and as he continued to follow Jesus. He went from somebody that I would say was self-driven to what I like to call spirit-driven. And we find it in the book of Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to go through all that story, but it's the Pentecost story. And it's an incredible experience. And it's, you know, some people say, well, that was just back then. But I want to tell you that story and that empowerment that those folks experienced that day is still true for the church today. Uh, so at that point, the Holy Spirit just kind of rests up on a group of people. But during this Pentecost experience, God's Holy Spirit was available to anybody that would receive him and begin to follow him. But about 120 of them uh, experienced this f- fulfillment, this um, just experience, incredible power of God in Acts chapter 2. But something that I begin to recognize and as I begin to follow Peter's life, notice that after Peter had experienced this incredible uh, empowerment of God, in Acts chapter 2, 14, it says, Now this was a guy that was a coward. This was a guy who was always putting his foot in his mouth. This was a guy that was going to take a walk and took a swim. But it says in Acts chapter 2, 14, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. I believe that's when the shift for Peter began to take place. He went from being self-driven to now being spirit-driven. Everything that he once lacked began to become um, complete. There was a boldness. There was an empowerment. There was a confidence. There was a new drive behind Peter's life that he had not experienced up to this point. And so the others And it said that Peter got up, he raised his voice, man, he began to share a very practical and simple message of repentance. And churches said that 3,000 people were added to that gathering that day. 3,000 were saved and 3,000 were baptized. See, friends, something powerful happens when you begin to shift from self-driven to (laughs) spirit-driven. And I can grab a hold of Peter's life and I can say, man, I know what it feels like to have good intentions. I know what it feels like to try to do your best efforts. But I want to tell you, church, every time you get to that place where you feel like you're doing your best and you you have good intentions, you are going to fall flat on your face each and every time. Because this thing that we're doing, the kingdom of God, this whole uh, living out uh, God's uh, journey and God's word in your life cannot be done by yourself. So as we think about that experience, knowing that that was a wake-up call for the church, it was also the birth of the church when we look in Acts, and Peter experienced that, and Peter was forever changed. There was a shift from self-driven to being spirit-driven. And 3,000, that blows me away. 3,000 people received that message, received God's grace, and began to follow Jesus. Friends, you don't catch those stories every day. And I think sometimes, even now when we hear them, and sometimes we're so surprised when we hear the little stories of how God empowers and how God moves upon his people. We hear the stories of, hey, so-and-so got saved. We've been praying for them. We've been witnessing to them. We've been inviting them to church, and they got saved. And we're so surprised. We're like, The person that we were 
praying for to receive a physical healing actually got healed. And we're, The person that was far gone, that was really far away from God, when they begin to enter into the life of the church and into uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're like, wow, that's amazing. Church, why should we be so surprised? (laughs) Why should it be such a shock for us when we begin to see God do what he wants to do? Why should we be so blown away when we're operating in the spirit-driven life versus the self-driven life? See, the self-driven life, when you're trying to do the things of God, wears you out. Because you're trying to produce something you can't produce on your own. And at times when God gives you a platform and he gives you a voice and he gives you an opportunity to share what you so boldly believe, you don't have anything to say because in your own, you don't have much to offer. But when you begin to shift from self-driven to spirit-driven, you begin to see mighty, incredible movements of God. And it shocks us as a church. <laughs> because we're so used to seeing God not really wow us. And it's normal. <sighs> you know, see, some of you came in here today and you already are settled on what you're going to receive. I want to see so and so. I'm going to eat some donuts. Eating donuts is the highlight of your Sunday, and that's sad. Man, you know where you're going to sit. You're going to worship the incredible music. You're going to pray prayers. You're going to give. You're going to hear a message. You're going to walk out these doors, and you're going to go eat lunch somewhere, and then you're going to take, you're going to hibernate for the rest of the afternoon somewhere. And you don't expect God to really mess with your stuff. <laughs> you don't really expect God to prompt you and lead you and produce a change in your life that he wants to do. He wants to take you from that self-driven mindset into that spirit-driven relationship. You still with me, church? But as we look at Peter, something happened, and man, that Acts experience, we we cannot really explain it. It was just empowerment and fulfillment of God, and it was incredible, friends, but I want to tell you today, if you ever want to get to that point from self-driven to spirit-driven living, this is something that's got to take place. When you decide to give control of your decisions, thoughts, and actions to God's Holy Spirit, that's when you begin to live that way. When you begin to take your face out of the picture and you begin to put God in everything that you do, in your thoughts, in your actions, in your living, in your everyday ordinary living, you place God in the very top of all that. And you get yourself out of the way. And see, as Americans and as the church today in America, sometimes it's hard because we are so self-driven. We are so self-motivated. We can make things happen. I I heard a statistic one day that, man, just brought me to my knees. It said 80% of what we do in church, we can do if God shows up or not. And I said to myself, all that is is a gathering of people. Man, if all we do is we produce in our own strength, if we produce by our own education, if we produce by our own gifts and talents, and we don't allow God to mess with our stuff and do a work that we can't do, all we are is a gathering of people. 
But as we begin to yield our life and our thoughts and our will and our everything to God and allow God to have the centerpiece of his church, you got to watch out, friends. Because you begin to see things like 3,000 people come to know him. (laughs) You begin to see people that were lost and everybody's given up on and people have written them off and say, hey, they're never going to get it right. Begin to get it right. You begin to see people that the doctor has said, hey, you might as well go ahead and, and, and make some arrangements because you don't have very long. Begin to get their healing and begin to live a long, fruitful life for God. And it shocks us when we see that. Because <laughs> we're not used to it. Because I believe we're so self-driven that we forgot about this whole spirit-driven relationship with God. You still with me, church? You always got to check your motives when you're really uh, living for God. See, this thing that we have with God, it's it's an inside worker. And you have to check your motives. You have to check your heart. You always have to make sure that you're leaning and fully trusting on God and not on your own means. Because you think about it, all the messes you've ever got yourself into, probably pre-Christian, is because you thought you knew best. Amen? Amen? Now, you don't have to say amen. I'll amen for you. We get ourselves in trouble when we lean on our own understanding. When we try to make things happen and then we have that collision with God and we recognize that, that there's something greater than what we've experienced, that we don't have it all together, that we're lost, that we're not uh, really experiencing life the way God wants us to and what he's planted us to experience. And we come to that grips and we begin to follow Jesus. And we begin to put his ways before our ways. And, and it seems like things begin to come together a little bit easier. Not that life's not easier. Jesus tells us in this life, you're going to have trouble. You're not exempt from trouble. But it just seems like when we place God first, it just seems like life becomes a little bit more meaningful, a little bit better. It seems like things just flow a little bit easier. I mean, there's a peace that... You can't even understand. You may not have a lot of money in the bank, but guess what? You're not restless at night. You're not worried about how you, you just know that somehow it's, it's going to work out. <laughs> when you're sitting at the doctor's office and he gives you that word cancer, man, you got cancer. You don't fall apart <laughs> because you know God has his hand on you, that your life is no longer your own, but you're living the life that God wants you to live. I'm going to give you three things today, friends, and I believe if you apply them to your life, these are fuel that will help you live a spirit-driven life. Three things. Very simple, very practical, but if you begin to apply them, I think you'll see the fruits. One, you have to be committed to Jesus. And you would think that's a no-brainer. Hey, that's about a simple, but I want to tell you, if you're ever going to really live the spirit-driven life, you have to be committed to Jesus you got to know that he is the centerpiece, that he is the source. He is, he is the one you worship. He is the one you are following after. It's Jesus. In John chapter 15, it tells us this, and this is a, a very cool passage, and I believe it uh, speaks exactly what we're talking about. In, in John chapter 15, Jesus begins to tell this incredible parable, and he starts out and he says, I am the true vine. Don't you love those I am statements, man, that Jesus makes? Basically, he kind of identifies who he is, but he also lets us know that we're not. (laughs) He is and we're not. 
Friends, if we're ever going to get it, guess what? We have to realize that he is the source. He is our everything, and we are not. We're nothing without God. We will never be anything without him. And Jesus begins to say, I am. I am. He also goes on to say, I am the true vine. And church, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of vines out there today. There's a lot of uh, uh, deception. There's a lot of false doctrine. There's a lot of false prophets. But Jesus identifies himself. Hey, I am the true vine. I'm the one. And then he goes on in that passage, and he goes, and, and he begins to pick up in verse 5. And I really like this. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he in me, he is like a branch. Wait a minute. He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can't do anything. And friends, if we don't stay committed, if we don't stay connected to Jesus, you can forget about truly making an impact for the kingdom of God. Because you're just going to wear yourself out. You're just going to chase your tail. But when you stay connected to God, man, you begin to experience all that God wants you to experience. And there's an empowerment, there's a fulfillment that you can't get any other place. you got to stay connected to Jesus. Apart from him, and I know, man, the longer you're in this, and there's something about uh, true humility, man, that makes this Christian life what it is. Being completely broken, being completely humbled, being completely trusted in who he is really makes this Christianity thing make sense. And apart from God, man, we can chalk it up. We're not going to do much. So one, to really live this spirit-driven life, we've got to stay and be committed to Jesus. Church, you still with me? Second, we have to be committed to the community of faith. And that's what you're doing today. See, when we come together, man, we come together for a purpose. We're just not a gathering of people. There's people gathering all around the world today, but there's something special about the gathering of the saints. There's something powerful that God has put together for his people, man. And as we come and we pray and we encourage each other and we build each other up, because to be honest with you, a lot of you putted yourself into the parking lot today spiritually. Amen? All week long, man, you come in here and man, Sunday morning, man, you get filled up and you're empowered and you're feeling good. And you walk out here and you're like, yeah, let's go change the world. And Monday comes and something happens and Tuesday goes and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And you all know how the story goes. And then Sunday rolls back around when you're not staying connected to the true vine. You put your way back in the church. And you get filled up and you're feeling good and you're like, yeah, let's go change the world. And you do it all over again. And for some of you, that's your lifeline, man. The community of faith is so important, man. Without that, without this, you're not going to stay connected to God. You're not going to move along in your journey with him. So when you got to be committed to Jesus, you got to be committed to his church. I got a lady at Riverside that's, uh, I think, been there since the first brick was laid, man. She's been around a long time. And she's still there. If I don't see my Mabel Brown, I know there's something wrong. But Mabel's faithful to her church. She loves her church. And, you know, I always say, man, she's just a great example of what it means to be committed, you know, to a group of people, a body. And I tell our folks, I say, you know, God's not impressed 
with your church attendance. He's not in heaven putting that little star by your name and saying, hey, so-and-so's here. They haven't missed a Sunday in 120 weeks. They're, they're always here. But I would say if you're staying connected to the vine, if you're staying connected with Jesus, this is something you want to be a part of. This is something, man, that you see is important. This is something that, that man, you look forward to. And it's just not a routine where you come in and you sit in the same spot, you eat your donuts, you fall asleep, and you go eat lunch. It's like, okay, we went to church. I'm feeling good. I got my church fixed in. No, God wants you to experience in the true community. And you've got to stay connected to the community. Third thing, and I believe this is probably the most important, especially for me, is you've got to be committed to prayer. You've got to be committed to prayer. There's something powerful and something that I've witnessed and experienced, you know, through this church and through men and women that get on their knees and really seek the face of God and just experience a movement of God that you can't lay out on paper, you can't explain. But I got to believe it was because people were seeking the heart of God through prayer. I had to get up last week and had to apologize to our Riverside congregation. I said, as your pastor, i got to apologize because I haven't given you the opportunities as a church to pray like we need to pray. I haven't created those opportunities for you to gather. And, you know, there's nothing spectacular, man. We're not doing dinners. We're not doing anything. We're just coming together as a church, and we're praying, and we're seeking the heart of God. And I know better, church. I know better when you... Take that out of your life, corporately and individually. You, you don't see God's handwriting on the walls like we need to see it. But there's a people that are hungry, a people that are seeking, that people that are, are having that constant conversation with God and begin to really focus on him as a group of believers. Man, I've seen God do incredible things. And it's all week long having that constant conversation with him. And it's hard. I know y'all busy. We're busy. We know I have time to talk with God. I want to tell you, if you're serious about your relationship with God, you got to make some time. <laughs> you got to do it. Church, if we're going to be a spirit-driven church, we got to pray, man. We got to seek the face of God. We got to allow God to empower us and source us and give us direction. And we got to invite God into this experience in an incredible way. I told somebody the other day, man, they pulled up beside me and said, I don't know what you were doing, but, man, you were having a conversation, and I didn't know if you had lost your mind. I said, well, if you ever pull up beside me and I'm talking, I could be praying. So I haven't lost my mind yet. But I try to keep that constant conversation with God, man. I try to stay fully trusting and leaning on God because I know apart from him, I can do nothing. And it's draining, and it does not bear fruit. But as the church of Jesus Christ, I believe he's called us to bear fruit. He's equipped us. He's prepared us. He's enabled us to do a work that we can't do on our own. He's given us his spirit. And I think so many times, man, as a church, we forget that we're not doing this alone. See, some of y'all waking up now. The pastor grabs a baseball bat. Y'all wake up. I want to share a story of you of my t-ball career. See, I don't have any adult stories because nobody around here lets me play on the adult teams. I was part of the young adult ministry here for several years and helped uh, 
softball league, and man, I could never get on a roster. I could never figure that out, Steve. What was up with that, man? I'd never get on a roster, run an adult flag football league, could never get to play. So all I have is kid uh, sports stories. I want to share one with you. I remember uh, it was the championship game, man. I remember we played at Tecumseh School back there. There was a ball diamond back there. and Man, this was the big game, man. We had went all season long undefeated, and this was the big one, man. And I was dressed to impress, man. My, I came and had the little things underneath my eyes, man. I was ready just to destroy it, man. I mean, this was our last game, and it was a night game. We had the lights out. Everybody was out there. Family was there, man. It was great times, and we got two outs. Bases are loaded. And just by the way, the reason why I've probably never been on the adult softball league because I am the worst softball player you will ever. Like, they'll put me out on left field somewhere all by myself, and I'm out there chasing balls. I'm not very good. But I remember my coach saying, hey, bases are loaded. We got two outs, man. He said, Parkman, just get on base. He said, man, behind you, man, we got a heavy hitter. Just get on base. And in my mind, friends, I'm thinking, swing for the fence, baby. I remember sitting up there, and everybody was like, it was as quiet as it could be. And I remember my coach saying, just get on base, Parkman. Um, (laughs) I got a baseball bat. I'm not afraid to use it this morning. Um, He just said, hey, just get on base. And I remember on that tee, man, I bucked up. It's just like, man, if you play baseball, you just know when you swing right and you connect that ball. It's like, like swinging through butter, man. I just... Hit that thing and that thing. It's like everything went in slow motion. It was just drifting and drifting. I remember running as fast as I could, but it seemed like I was just as slow as could be. And I seen everybody come in, and I remember running the home plate. Man, I had the biggest smile. My hat blew off. I remember running back thinking my team was going to rally, thinking my coach was going to pick me up, and we were going to have this big parade and this big celebration, and it was going to be Chuck E. Cheese time afterwards and all that. But the biggest disappointment in my coach's face and in my team. I ran through home base and was like, yeah, we won. My coach said, I told you just to get on base. And not knowing after I had swung that I had swung that bat back and had hit about half my teammates. So they were all mad at me too. (laughs) Church, the point is, so many times as a church, we swing just to get on base. I want to encourage you to swing for the fence, man. Now, if you're just going to be self-driven, just get on base, man. (laughs) Play it safe. Never take the big plunge. Never take the risk. But you are empowered by God. There's a spirit-driven life, man, that you can't always explain or whatever. But as a church, you can swing for the fence. Babe Ruth, one of my favorite baseball players, man, in his career, he hit over 714 home runs. He did it the old-fashioned way. He didn't use any of that juice or any of that sports enhancement stuff. He used hot dogs and hamburgers, church. (laughs) But, you know, the thing is, in his career, he struck out more than 1,300 times. And, church, I'm not saying every time we get up to bat, man, we're going to swing for the fence and we're going to knock it out the park. That's not going to happen. But every time I get up and every time we get up and we do something for God, and that's each and every day, church, I want you to have the attitude and mentality, man, I'm swinging for the fence. 
I'm no longer my old self. I'm no longer doing this in my own strength. I'm no longer self-driven, but I'm spirit-driven, man. So therefore, when people around me start getting saved and things start happening that I can't really explain it and I start seeing sick people get well again, I'm swinging for the fence, man. I'm not selling just for the norm. I'm just not selling for what seems to be all right. But I'm swinging to see God do an incredible work. Church, are you with me? Church, will you stand with me today? Dear Heavenly Father, today we thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, we know that this journey, Lord, that we're on with you, there's so many things that need to take place for us to really get it. Father, sometimes I feel like, Lord, we just go through the motions. We just settle for less. We don't expect you to do the mighty miracles that we know that you can do. When we think about our Christian walk, we think about where we're at Monday through Saturday. And Lord, are we making a difference? Are people coming to you because of our life? Lord, how we model you and... Lord, how we live and, Lord, how we love and how we serve and, uh, Lord, how we embrace the lost and dying world. Father, but I got to believe that there's, Lord, there's greater things in store. Lord, that there's a, a power available that helps us live in a way that we can't live on our own. Lord, helps us do what we can't do on our own. And Lord, as a church, Father, I pray that we get that. Lord, that we'll never try to do anything outside of your will, outside of your strength. And Father, help us to take those steps, Lord, to be able to allow you, Lord, to make that shift, Lord, like you did in Peter's life. Lord, you took somebody that had good intentions, that seemed like he always dropped the ball to somebody that was madly crazy, in love with you, that preached messages, that got 3,000 people saved, that gave birth, Lord, to the church, that would carry out a mighty work. And Lord, there's a lot of people in here today that feels like they can't do it. They can't do it on their own. They're exactly right. We can't do it on our own. Lord, we do it as you empower us and as we begin to trust and rely on you each and every time. Father, and when we get up to hit, Lord, help us just not to play it safe and just to get on base and settle for less than what you have for us, but may we swing for the fence, knowing, Lord, that we're not empowered by our own strength, but we're empowered by you. Lord, you're still in the miracle-working business. Still a lot of great things that you want to do through your church. So, Father, remind us of that today. Lord, we thank you today. We praise you. We ask all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Church, we love you because Jesus loves you. Be blessed.